is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, host of Incredible Life Creator Podcast and author of this book, Visualizing Happiness in Every Area of Your Life. And my special guest today is Mr. Will Latif Little. Hey, Will. Hello. How are you? I am great. Thanks for being on here. And just so people can get to know you, I'm going to read your bio real quick, and then we'll you tell us our story. So Will Latif Little spent his youth running the streets of Philadelphia. Growing up in a fraught environment, Will looked to his surroundings for leadership and advice, eventually finding what he needed in gangs, drugs, and violence. His experience led to a gunfight that took another man's life, a man just like him. With a baby on the way, Will found himself serving a long-term jail sentence, but after holding his child for the first time, he vowed to change his path. While incarcerated, Will self-educated, became an insatiable reader, and mentored his cellmates. Today, Will is a social entrepreneur who has inspired thousands of people as a keynote speaker, coach, author, and film subject. With a goal of empowering his audiences to make better decisions, Will is a life transformation expert that engages his viewers with actionable insights to take away and implement into their lives immediately. You still with us, Will? Yes, I'm still here. I just bring some more light in. Oh, yeah. It does look better. We can see you better. So thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So you had quite a journey from childhood to now, kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. So just so people can get to know you, why don't you tell us the story from the beginning? Okay. So basically, um, I moved in from North Carolina. My mother uh, lived in Virginia. My father lived in North Carolina. They got married at a young age, 15 years old. Uh, my mother you know, lost her mother at the age of 11. So she was already going through some trauma. My father lost his mother um, at an early age. I'm not sure what age that was too. So they both was dealing with different traumas, right? Maybe trauma bonding that brought them together. And they had four children. I was the last um, child, which is, I was the only boy at the time. I had three older sisters. So my mother decided to move because the, the relationship was very domestic, very violent. She decided to move to Philadelphia. We came here, I was about six months years old. And um, just grew up with my mother and um, my aunt, who we thought we called grandma because she was way older than my mother, but she's my mother's older sister, so we called her grandma. Mm-hmm. So she she became my grandmother, and um, you know we struggled, mother struggled trying to get jobs, coming to a new city, a big city as it is. Um, seen a lot of the drug trade here, growing up in the rough neighborhoods of South Philadelphia and North Philadelphia and West Philadelphia. Um, I seen a lot of violence too as well growing up. Um, seeing my mother struggle, you know, from job to job, place to place. And it's a lot of things I grew up experiencing uh, at a young age. But being an introvert, like I was, um, I didn't really complain about anything. My mother always said I never complained about nothing. I was always quiet in the house. She could never really find me unless she came looking for me. So quiet I was. And I was basically like to myself a lot, just trying to know, just watch and watching things. I wasn't much of a talker. So I grew up. Um, just trying to figure out who I was, my identity, because my sister had someone to look up to, like my mother my, and my aunt, but I ain't have no one to look up to to really figure out who I was, identify myself with someone. You know, so it was kind of like um, rough on that end, just, just trying to figure things out, what boys do, what girls do, I mean, because I'm a house with a full of women. So my aunt, she took me to move with her for a while, so I wound up moving from one place to another place, and then back and forth between my mom and my aunt. And uh, as I grew older, 
Um, I live with my mom. I seen her get into some different fights with other guys. My mother, she was kind of rough, so she ain't take no mess. She got to take care of her daughters. You know, she got to protect her daughters from you no know, predators and things of that nature. So she's from down south. She's sturdy. She's strong, and she knows she's in a rough city. You know, um, me growing up seeing these things, it's like you no, know, I, I had the idea. Like I, when I get older, I got to be able to protect my mom and my sisters. I mean, I can't be a scared little boy. I can't be afraid of the dark. So all these different things is going through my head as a kid. Like who, I, who would I be? How would I become? you know, and things of that nature. So it was always in my mind, um, being a protector of my family, being a protector of myself. And um, going to different schools, I got into different fights with different guys, you know, um, because maybe they was jealous of me because the girls, I'm a new person, the girls like me. Or maybe they, 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 could, they thought they could push me over because I was real quiet, didn't respond, didn't say nothing to a lot of people. And um, I just grew up just really watching people's character and their, and their mindset. And I just turned to fights, me fighting people. Every school I went to, I had to fight somebody. I knew that was initiation. I already expected that. You know, my mother didn't know what I was going through. My aunt didn't know what I was going through because I would never share that with them, what I was going through. I just tried to deal with it on my own. And I always would wish, like, my father was around, like I had somebody to help protect us. Uh, if I had a bigger brother, maybe protect us. But I didn't have those things, so I had to become those things myself. For myself, so one day I moved back with my mother at the age of 13 years old. She had a boyfriend for a while about six, seven years, but he'd get drunk too. And he'd be in the streets, he carried guns and things of that nature. So these are things I witnessed, you know, I would see him and my mom fight or argue a lot. But when I came home this time, I was 13 years old, they got into a fight and I wasn't having it no more. Like, no, nobody, I got to stand up for my family. So I, I wound up getting in a fight with my mom boyfriend. And then he's like, you know, you think you're a man now? You think you're a man? All right, come on outside if you think you're a man. So I said, I'm coming outside, my shoes on. Cause I had like a temper problem too as well. And my mom said, don't go outside. I don't want him to hurt you. I said, no, I'm going outside. This will be the last time he puts hands on you. Yeah, I'll be fighting. I'm going outside. So I put my shoes on. She tell my little sister, go out there with me. I said, no, I tell her to stay in the house. I said, stay in the house. You can't do nothing. You can't help me. I mean, so stay in the house. I don't want her to get hurt. So I'm thinking about her too. So I go out there and then he grabs me, put his hands on my, on my chest, push me up against the wall, pulled out a gun and put it in my face, about two inches away from my face. And I just looked at him. I just you know, stared and I was, I was getting angrier. You know, I wasn't afraid. I was just getting angrier. Then eventually I blacked out. So I would hear him, I would, I would see the lips moving, but I couldn't hear nothing he was saying. And it's the first time I ever experienced that. I never know, experienced that before. And I guess because I got so angry at the time, um, just thinking about how you take advantage of a woman, how you take advantage of a kid, you know? So um, I went back in the house. My mom's like, you all right? I said, yeah, I'm all right. And I said, you all right? She said, yeah, I'm all right. So I just, just played it off like nothing was, I didn't realize nothing happened. Or I didn't know that was really, I experienced trauma at the time. I didn't know that. I just noticed when I got a little older, the change in me being in the streets, the attitude I had, the, the fear I did not have no more. I used to be afraid of the dark. Now I'm no longer afraid of the dark. I'm no longer afraid of, of, of fights. I'm no longer afraid of being, being, I'm not even afraid of death. That's where my mind was at. I'm not even afraid of death anymore. So I would do things that, that could have been, could really took my life or detrimental to my health. I didn't, I didn't care about that. I mean, I wasn't afraid of it. So growing up, then getting into the drugs trade, you know what I mean, trying to make money for myself, um, fit for myself. So my mind got to pay for my haircuts no more. I ain't got to wait for her to buy me new sneakers because I was dogging my sneakers out playing basketball. Now I can get my own thing. I get my own stuff without her even knowing it because she's busy at work trying to take care of five children, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, got in school, did really good in school academic-wise, but I got bored with school eventually. got bored with it. That's like ninth grade. I didn't even go to my graduation. I just told my mom I didn't want to go. I didn't feel like going. I didn't feel good. But I didn't feel good about passing. 
I feel good about none of that stuff. So um, I eventually got into hustling really heavier. Got have hustling really heavy, selling drugs. Had workers selling drugs for me. Um, had a car um, that mom didn't know I had when I, I hide it around the corner. I was looking. To, I was looking to move out, get my own apartment, say that me and my friends going to live together, something like that. So so she wouldn't really know where I was getting money from. I would hide my sneakers that cost two hundred dollars. So she wouldn't ask me questions about it. Things of that nature. So I was real. I was real sneaky with things that I was doing, and it wouldn't notice with her until I got locked up. And I got arrested for drugs one time. Um, then she 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 knows that people were telling her, your son sell drugs, he'd be hustling on the street, et cetera, et cetera. So she asked me about it and I was like, no, I just did it to make money for a little bit, but I ain't doing it no more. Mm-hmm. But I built myself out. I just told him that the, the courts built me out, but I built myself out. And I just didn't go back to the court. You know, then eventually uh, a friend of mine got murdered. Uh, he got shot like 11 times. Mm-hmm. And that was more trauma and on top of that. And I was angry. No, and I, I was hurt. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to cope with it. My friends didn't know how to cope with it. We just got angrier more and just more violent, you know? So um, eventually I got to a shootout and I killed another person, like another young man um, that was my age, who had the same dilemmas, the same problems that we had, didn't grow up with his father. Um, and it was just young people just like that, inner city youth, just like that, uh, that mindset, that mentality and the reasons why. No, we got locked up, me and my co-defendants, like three of us, four of us all together. Got a slew of charges, murder, attempted murder on a witness, aggravated assault, conspiracy, uh, gun charge, and they were seeking a death on me. I was 19 years old, my mom was like shocked. She was worried, she was stressed out. She she, she couldn't understand what become of me, her son, a little baby boy, because mm-hmm. she didn't know all the things I was into. You know, So um, I just told her that everything would be all right. I'll be cool. I'll be good. I'll be cool. I know she didn't know the kind of because I'm always I'm a, I'm a good kid at home, but on the streets I'm a whole different mentality on the street because I had to be this way. You know what I mean? I had to be emotional less. You know what I mean? I had to dehumanize myself to see the things I saw, to do the things I've done, and to feel the way I felt. So she didn't realize the person I turned into. You know, and I was in the roughest jail, so she was worried about that. The jail was always in the news for killings, for fires, for riots. I said, I'm okay, man. I'm cool. I'll call her home. I'll make sure I call. I'm good. You don't got to worry. And she was worried to death, and I didn't want to take her through all of that. So I always try to like comfort her and let her know, I'm, I'm okay. I'll be good. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I would get visits from my sisters and everything. Like, they come up all the time supporting. You know, I tell her the case is looking good. I'm, I may be home. You never know. And it was a shootout, so they really couldn't tell who did it, who who killed, who shot who. And uh, I just tell my mom the truth. I just tell her the honest truth. I said, I shot him. I did it. You know, and it ain't because you didn't raise me right. It's not because you're a bad mother. It's, it's because I chose to do that. That was my, that was, I'm taking, I'm taking full responsibility for my actions and owning up to it at 19 years old. Because I didn't want to delude myself. I didn't want to fake myself out. Oh, no, I don't think I did it. No, I know who I was. I know who I was being at the time. And I know I was better than that at the same time. You know, so my son was born nine months later. My girlfriend was pregnant. And then that's when I really had the epiphany. I really had the shift. I really had the why I should change my life because of him. I didn't want him going through the same thing I went through, not having a father or not having guidance and direction, knowing in this city how dangerous it is, uh, how there's so many lost people just hurting and hurt people hurting people. So I said, I got to do something about it. I got to be a father to my son. And before I can be a father to my son, I knew I had to first become a man. 
you know. So I made a commitment to myself while I was in prison to turn the state penitentiary into my Penn State mm -hmm. cool. on self-education. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I look at my sisters, they was all in college, going to school, thriving. I said, I did all this stuff, negative stuff, wrong stuff, hustling backwards. I mean, to get all the things that they got just by doing the right thing, by them going to school, by them getting the education. You know what I mean? I cut myself short by just trying to take the fast route mm -hmm. or what I thought was the easy route, was actually hustling backwards. So I was like, no more thinking backwards, trying to think ahead. So now I got to really, really work on my own personal development, my own personal growth. So I committed to change. I, I knew that it was possible. Even in, a, in the environment that I was in, in the prison, where there's violence and chaos and, and, and enemies and, you know, and geographicalness. I say, if I want to change anywhere, I can't, if I go home, I can't wait till I go home. I got to do it in this environment where it's really rough, where it's really going to be challenging, where I'm really going to be uncomfortable, where I'm really going to be tested. My anger going to be tested. My emotions going to be tested. Mm -hmm. And so that's when you change it. You don't change the comfort. You only change the discomfort. I totally you know? agree. And that is yeah. when we change. So how yeah. did you know where to start when you said, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to change. How did you know where to start or where did you start? I didn't know exactly where to start. I didn't know nothing about personal development. You know, it's not true in our community. I didn't know nothing about reflection, mm -hmm. even though we do it often, right? But I didn't know the benefit of reflection. I didn't know reflection was freedom. So just be, just praying to God and just thinking like, what can I do? Let me go to God first. I mean, even though I was religious, grew up in the church and everything else, I said, let me just go to God. And just forget all about religion. Just go to God and just ask him for guidance. You know, and um, when I sat in my cell, I just sit there and I was just thinking, because I'm a thinker anyway, I'm an introvert, so I think. I just started thinking about my life when I was younger, like who I was, what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to be a ball player. You know, I wanted to be uh, just a good person who gave back to the community. You know, that's who my original thought was. That's my original thought. But what the streets made me was something totally different. And I realized what the streets made me because of what? Because of trauma, because of the experience I experienced. And the things that happened to me, the things that were unresolved and the things I didn't get treatment for or therapy for that I was dealing with on my own the whole time. Um, and then I started reflecting on that, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm better than that. Mm -hmm. You know, and how can I be better? And I'm, I know I could be better. So I believe that I could be better, even in that environment even though they're not offering the tools that you need in order for you to become a better better citizen to society, a productive member of society, if anybody's at release, because now it's a warehouse. It's a warehouse for people, you know? And I realized the system. I looked at the system and see how it was operating. You know, I seen the flow of people coming in and out, how many young black men coming in jail with, with murder for, for another black man, you know? And just looking at the system, how the CEOs, how they treat you, and how they can do anything with you, and, and nobody would know. You know, just not want to be in that system. Seeing an old man mopping the floors at 60 or 70 years old, I just, that's not my life. I don't want to be that. So I got to do everything I can right now to develop the keys I need in order for me to set myself free. And not physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So when you came out of jail, did you reunite with your son and your girlfriend? Well, at the time um, when I came out of jail, 10 years later, I worked on myself for 10 years straight, um, oh, wow. got myself together. Um, I became like a leader in jail too, um, giving good advice for younger men who 
you know, were stressed out about their time or doing life in prison. And then I came home, I wanted to do the same kind of work. I wanted to come home to the schools. I want to go back to an environment where I caused most mischief at and just try to just give back and set the scale straight with the negative energy and positive energy. I got my son, uh, his mother moved immediately. Um, probably three months later, while I was still in the halfway house, she moved to Atlanta. You know, and that, that was that was a heartbreak right there because everything I did, I did to come home to him. Mm-hmm. You know, but I was I just understand that she had some own dilemmas that she was battling herself, that she had to get away from Philly. So um I didn't get upset with her, I didn't get angry with her. Um, like I would have with my teenage years, I would have done that, but I had to be more understanding and considerate of what she was dealing with all the time I was going. So I said, Let me just take my son. Let me just take him and let me take care of him. Because she already had a daughter at that time. So let me just take him, take the burden off your back, and then we take the responsibility of raising him for the rest I mean, of his life. Yeah. And you had him the first nine years, you know? And we, she did that, you know? So I was able to, to, had to, to, to visualize the things I visualized with him, going to school, taking him to school, having him homework, going to the mall, these things I was able to do because these are things I wanted to do for him because I didn't have enough to be, you know? So, um, did so obviously got good and then you know i had another son had a girlfriend had another son so i had two boys and um just trying to be a father to them trying to show them the right direction trying to empathize with them um teaching them the correct way uh showing them love i mean that that, that most men don't show their sons love because they think they got to be strong or got to be tough and things of that nature i just try to raise them differently and you know the right way mm-hmm. uh, based on the way i was raised or the, the th- way i thought that life was to give them a whole different visual picture. So by me learning myself and teaching myself, uh, tapping into my inner self was was all the tools I needed. Mm-hmm. You know, of perseverance, um, res- um, what's the other word? Um, resourcefulness. Because it's, when I come home, the city they weren't supporting ex-offenders, especially convicted murderers. You couldn't get jobs nowhere. You couldn't get apartments. You couldn't get nothing. It was really to shut you down. So you either had to persevere, figure it out, or you go back to the same routine you always did and go back to jail. Like you, like that was the revolving door for a lot of people. I didn't want that for myself. I deemed to myself never go back to jail. I mean, no matter what it was, it's nothing harder than being in jail. It's, it's easier out here than being in jail. So whatever challenge I face out here, obstacle I face out here, hurdle I have to get across, it's nothing compared to jail. So uh, I just stand, I stand up on it and, and get through it. And now that um, I educate myself more and more when it comes to life, understanding the principles of emotional intelligence, how you embody that, how to practice that, how to implement that in times of need, um, understanding the human system, your mind, your emotions, your feelings, your ego, your drive, uh, things, other things that like perseverance and development and gratitude and greatness to be able to share that with other people who have no awareness of none of these things. Mm-hmm. So to give them the tools they need in order for them to heal themselves, order for them to navigate their life in best practice, to be a better version of themselves in this world, you know, and be an asset to society, not a liability. So this is the work I've been doing. Uh, I created a poetry group called Poetry in Motion, mm-hmm. where I let people you know, write down uh, whatever the traumas they're dealing with, whatever dilemmas they're dealing with, be able to act it out on stage and be able to share that dark place or emotional feeling they had and that experience with other people who may relate to that and then also show them a way out of it, you know? So we did that. I did classes. I did mentoring classes in the barbershop. I started coming here in the barbershop mm-hmm. uh, with hundreds of kids that came to the barbershop every Monday 
Um, we we funded ourselves. Basically, we didn't get no funding from the city or the state. They never supported it. So we just kept it going ourselves. Got some of the community members that get involved, have cookouts for the kids, take them on little hiking trips that didn't cost no money. You know, we just did everything we did without just re being resourceful, without the funds we needed, and be able to pour into them the, the tools they needed from single parent moms who come in a barbershop, don't have their fathers in jail, their fathers dead. Mm -hmm. So even helping them, supporting them, even with the girls, uh, having some of the salons mentoring the girls. You know, we all come together to do big events. And then I started teaching adults. I realized that the problem wasn't the children, the problem was the adults. Mm -hmm. You know, so I started a class on the emotional intelligence with the adults, how you manage your emotions, how you deal with your childhood trauma, how you able to uh, articulate yourself and the art of conversation, understand how to communicate, how to express yourself, how to receive information, you know, how to take constructive criticism, all those different things, these tools are got to be taught. We're not taught life. We may be taught academics, but we're not taught how to live. So most people are in survival mode. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah. So just going back in your story, so when you did come out of jail mm -hmm. and you were saying, you know, it's almost impossible to find a place to live or a job or anything when you first come out of jail. So what do most people do or how do they handle that? How do they well, actually find something? Well, some, like I say, it's, it's slim to none because some people don't have, they may burn their bridges. They was on drugs and like that. So their family members don't accept them no more. They don't trust them no more. And they've been in, in out of jail. Uh, because they didn't get the right help or therapy they needed. So some people, they fall to the wayside and wind up going back to jail and be their second home. Uh, others, they may have good support system. Like, I had a good support system. I had my sisters, my mom. They was all there for me. But like I said, I didn't want to put a burden on them mm -hmm. either. So I had to really try to handle my own stuff. Um, getting a job, you know, getting the support of a job, whereas though I didn't want to go back to hustling and selling drugs. So one of my model was progress over pride. I can't worry about the nice clothes and the nice shoes and the cars that my homies had, the things I used to drive as a teenager. I can't drive those. I got to get on the bus. I can accept it. Mm -hmm. You know, because I know for the long haul, I'm in it for the marathon, not the sprint. Before I was in it for the sprint. Now I'm in it for the marathon because the marathon lasts longer. All right. So that's how it kind of happens. That's why the recidivism rate is really high. We're not getting the right, they're not getting the right help or the right support or the right programs, you know, to help them really tap into their inner self to become the person they're designed to be. And that most of the, the, the biggest crisis that we face is identity. Yeah. And now that, now that we're in an age of, of attention, everything is begging for your attention. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. And I don't care who the person is, we all struggle with that identity piece. Yeah. Like who, who am I, where do I belong? What is my reason for being? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I, I help people find that. I'm, as a life coach, now I help people find um, within them to discover themselves um, where they are and who they are, you know, and what they could possibly become. And the greatness of, of humanity, the greatness of humanity, understanding that everything in creation is created for us. Mm -hmm. That shows your greatness, you know. But you got to see that in yourself. You got to believe it within yourself first. You know. That is, that is so true. So, how old are your are your are your sons now? Well, my oldest son, he's thirty three. Uh huh. Um, with two twin twin boys. Uh huh. My other son, he's twenty three. 
Uh, he has no children. My other son is uh, 18. No, 18. We graduate this year. Um, he has no children either. Uh, so then my daughters, you know, they are um, eight, 17, 18, 17, 16. And my youngest is, is nine right here. Okay, so well, how is how is it different raising boys first and then getting the girls? Well, most of my children are like me. They're introverts, you know, so, you know, they really calm. Um, they're not too emotional. Um, I think the girls are just, you know, the girls are just adorable. So, you know, the boys, <laughs> boys, they got to you know, they got to they gotta come up hard. And there was no really no excuses, not too hard, but pushing them, you know, because they, I know they, they closed in, they boxed in because they, they quiet, they shy. And like, I was that way when I was younger. And I explained that to them, but you had to really tap into yourself to get, get to come out earlier, to find yourself earlier, you know, in life. So whatever you want to be basketball, like my son, he's graduating to be a nurse this year. So mm-hmm. um, my oldest son, he's still, you know, he's, he's working and trying to figure out what he's need to do and trying to find his path. Um, instead of working odd jobs, I try to show them to make life easier, make the rest of your life become the best of your life as you get older, you know, and just by being an example to them too as well showing them uh, what the work that I'm doing. They, they support, they participate in the things I'm doing too. I bring them around uh, certain speeches I may give or certain schools I may go to mm-hmm. so they can see how it is and how it affects them and they love it. And they don't mind you know, uh, letting people borrow me. You know, They allow groups and communities to borrow me, like my time. They don't, they know that I'm out here doing this work and I, I, make, I make sure I make time for them too as well. And they special needs or things they need or their concerns, they come first, like y'all come first. Me first, then you come, then the community, you know, mm-hmm. so in that order. But they're doing good. My girls is doing great. They're just quiet and they're going to school. They're educated. I mean, they um they love school. Besides this one right here, she she she, she don't like school right now, but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> she does good in school. Um, really smart. And I make sure that, um, they're very educated. Um, reading, mathematics, and stuff like that too. And as I know, like when you when you know yourself, you know your children, you know what they may struggle with, and what they may be excelled in. But too, but allowing them to develop those particular tools from ages of two, three, or four years old, you see as they develop what things they may do that may be their gift. Mm-hmm. You know, not not shutting down their gift. If it's talking, speaking loud, playing, drawing creating just kind of just uh, directed in a way where though they're not she's, she's an artist she's like she's like drawing she's like cut stuff up she's like um interior decorating things so i let her do a thing but make sure you clean up and do it constructively you know because i want you to work that crap and just noticing that and most times parents will be mad why are you doing that why are you writing on the wall all right you're not writing on the wall we're not doing that but here's some paper here's uh-huh. this right on the wall you could draw whatever you want to do but keep it in the borderlines make it neat you know, so they can still work on their craft as, you know, young kids and watch them develop because they're closer to their innate abilities than any adult who don't know themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's when you really, children are really tapped into their inner self. It's just the world that changes changes them to make them think that they need things outside of themselves to fill the void inside themselves. But it's really what's inside you actually attracts the things on the outside of you. Yeah. So just having that knowledge, just having that wisdom for them to really get off, get started right early, you know. Mm-hmm. So. so are there things that you did 
just to encourage yourself either in prison or even after um because you had you had a really big transformation from having a lot a lot of anger mm -hmm. to becoming reflective and making a decision are there things that you do like some people do meditation some you know mm -hmm. some people it's their relationship with god what, what certain things do you do that that really helped you through everything you've gone through well, then when I was in prison, it's more so just vision. I mean, seeing the vision, I mean, seeing the vision of myself being something better than who I was. And like I said, I didn't know I would be a speaker. I didn't know I would be an author. I didn't know I would be a community activist. Those things I didn't know I would be at that time. Mm -hmm. But I knew it wasn't who I was. Right. And the thing with that is finding your purpose. So as you tap into yourself, know who you are. You don't know what you need till you know who you are. Mm -hmm. So when I began to know who I was becoming, I became a speaker. I'm an introvert by nature. I don't talk. Like my mother's when she see me when I came home and started doing this work, she's like, "Who are you? Like you don't you don't talk? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you shy. All these things. So um, I had to overcome a lot of those challenges of my shyness. Overcome um, being fear of being judged or what I'm saying in my mouth, articulate myself the correct way. So I just, I studied the dictionary. I studied mm -hmm. certain words so I can understand certain things in grammar. I'm not a prodigious reader. I don't read that much. I study. I'm a study. I'm not a reader. Mm -hmm. You know, so even writing a book, it's like, okay, uh, how do you write a book? You know, I had to go and look at some books, I mean, on autobiographies and just see how it is. I'm a quick learner. I learn like that. You mm -hmm. know, so these things I tell myself, you become what you tell yourself. So I'm self-motivated. I mean, I know I can learn fast. You know, so all these things I tell myself, I fill myself up with those things. So it's easy for me to make the transition and transformation. A lot of times what stops us is fear and doubt. Doubt is man's greatest enemy. Mm -hmm. I'm an optimistic person. I've always been optimistic even when I was younger. So when I was in prison, I, I stay optimistic. No, I ain't going to do life in prison. I ain't going to be in the phone. I, I know I'm going to get some time, but that's not going to be it. You know, so just accepting the reality and not deluding myself to pretend it's, I'm something that I'm not or something's going to be that is not, right? Just really be able to accept. And a lot of times we have problems with acceptance. And that's what's in our way for a lot of us to, to grow and become better or heal. We have a problem with acceptance. Mm -hmm. You know, so I didn't want to try to control what I couldn't control. I just wanted to control the things I could control. You know, and that's how I became more Sturdy. I mean, it was it was challenging in, in prison and that environment with that kind of attitudes. And I still got into fights. I still got into rally, riots and stuff like that. But I was more conscious of what I was doing, opposed to just acting off emotion. Mm -hmm. and, and I learned kind of emotional intelligence, not vaguely. I learned it vaguely uh, watching a movie called Die Hard One. Really? I took it all the time. Yeah, I took it was all the time. <laughs> My man Bruce. Right, and, um, it was really my man Hans, though. Hans, it was okay. really him, right? Because you know, when Bruce Willis ran to Hans, well, Hans was looking for Bruce, and Bruce was looking for Hans, but they didn't know who was who, uh -huh. right? So, when Bruce had the drop on him, Hans acted like he was a hostage and hiding, uh -huh. right? So, he started following Bruce, and then Bruce was acting you know, irrational and things of that nature. And Hans told him, He said, You're acting off your emotions without using the benefit of your intellect, and that hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, Wow. That that's me right there. Uh -huh. I mean, being honest with myself, being standing my truth, like that's me. That's my emotion. That's my anger. You know, so that point on, that's where I learned 
even the, the, the phrase is already coined by the person who, who invented the terminology, but I didn't know nothing about that. But I just see that emotional intelligence right there from that movie. If I didn't get nothing else out of that movie, that's the one thing I got out of that movie that was really beneficial that helped me in my transition. Because now I'm also managing my anger. So I went to anger management class to learn about anger management. What kind of anger do I have? Why do I have this anger? I became more aware, more self-aware. Mm. So now I'm able to self-aware and I'm able to self-regulate, self-manage. You know, so I kind of took myself through personal development when I was in jail. So when I came home, a lot of things, the challenges I face, I'm already in personal development with myself and everything I needed was already in me. Beautiful. So you mentioned your book. Talk about your book. What did you write about? Uh, my first book was my autobiography. I see why. I see why life and times of Will Little. And I originally wrote that book for my children. Because I didn't know my father that well. I didn't see him like five times. I didn't know my grandfathers. They passed away before I was born. You know, I didn't know my history. I didn't know who I was. Um, I was able to identify my father once I got out of prison and went to go see him as an adult, you know, to see his hands, see his face, see how he talked. Then I started, okay, I started identifying myself with him, you know. Um, so when I wrote my book, it was just that I wanted to write something for my sons or my daughters or my grandsons or my great-grandsons can look back and say, that my grandfather, my father went through this. He persevered. He got through it. I can get through it. He was an artist. He was a poet. He could do this. I can do that. He's a writer. I can do that. So just to give them some identity, you know, and let them know that what you, what is possible for you to do, overcome. And when I wrote the book, I was in a barbershop at the time. I finished it. And then people started coming and buying it. And more people bought it. And I love this. Story. I ain't know nobody's going to relate to my story like that. Like, mm -hmm. who am I? I ain't nobody. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. um, the way I articulated it and the way I wrote it, I, I put some poems in it that kind of reflected my life. And everybody just loved it. It's for sale. Now it's five stars on Amazon. I've been five stars for the last, I don't know, 10 years. Congratulations on that. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And then I just wrote my recent book, um, Take Your Life the Fuck Back. But it's an acronym for FUC. And the FUC stands for Finding Your Core Self. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a personal development book. It's a self-help book mm -hmm. that helps you find yourself. Helps you get into like self-awareness, self-management, self-reflection, self-inventory uh, check, why that's important, um, self-management after knowing all that, understanding emotional intelligence, understanding universal laws, the game of life, the rules of life, uh, understanding um, meditation, the importance of meditation, mm -hmm. and all these different tools that we use to help to help people transform their life. And I've been transforming lives since, since I was in prison. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the last... 30 years, I've been transforming lives. And when I came home, I transformed more lives and transformed now. I'm still doing the same work here. I got a, I got a, uh, a live class I do every morning on Instagram for the last 20 months. Every Monday through Friday, 7 a.m., I wake up, 7 a.m., I do a personal development class on different topics of self-healing, self-growth, mindfulness practices, a set mindset, a growth mindset, emotional intelligence, fear, anxiety, anger, how that impacts your health. I mean, so everything that deals with health and wellness, you know, and all the ills of society that we're dealing with and how we kind of can be able to um, change that in best practice, you know? 
So the self-help book is basically for that too. Individuals, schools, teachers. I know everybody under a, a great amount of stress, especially at the post at the COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and different companies, police officers, the firemen, um, highly stressed environments, prisons, teachers, very stressful environments right now. Um, service providers who are providing service for the community at risk, youth or or, or incarcerated inmates who come home, mm-hmm. homeless people drug addicted people, you know, individuals like that who can really get to the book. And if they want to participate in their own rescue, they can really rescue themselves uh, from you know, the walls they build up uh, around them that's preventing them from becoming a better version of themselves and creating their best life. Beautiful. And then you, you also do some speaking. Now, what kind of groups do you speak to? All groups. <laughs> <laughs> I, I speak to from first graders to 12th graders, college students, millionaires and billionaires all over the country from doing conferences all over the country, um, speaking at different events all over the country, um, workplace and work environments, five, Fortune 500 companies to help them scale, uh, create a culture within their businesses when it comes to emotional intelligence, teaching that too. Um, what else? Uh, mentoring groups, programs, uh, prisons, um, group homes, you know, different curriculums and programs. We sit with them and be able to help them, you know, um, in best practice, find their best self. You know, so I speak to all, all different types, all different target populations over the years, over the last 24 years. Um, real estate companies, okay, everybody who's, who's just striving to be better at scale as you versus you. Mm-hmm. Right? As you versus you and everything you do. So how you show up, uh, creates the outcome of your experience. And a lot of us don't know that we are, we get who we are, not what we want. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yes. So if people wanted to book you, um, where do they contact you? Well, they can contact me by email with, under willatifelittle.com. I mean, willatifelittle at gmail.com. Uh, they can find more information about me. If they Google me, they find a whole bunch of information on me. Um, the work I've been doing, articles and uh, documentaries and things of that nature that's on Amazon. Uh, they find my book on Amazon Prime too. They find the first book, I see why, but uh, Take Your Life Back is not on uh, Amazon. I'm not going to put that on Amazon. I'm just going to ship it out myself. Um, for the rest of my books, I'm going to do it myself. Um, and this that's uh, Instagram. My Instagram page is Latif, L-A-T-I-F underscore M-U-H-S-I-N. My Facebook page is Will Latif Little or Will Little. I have two pages. Um, what else they can find me at? And my website, willatiflittle.com. And they can go book Will. It's right under there, book Will. Okay, well, you've made it simple. Just your name all over the place. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, wow, you've just shared so much. So thank you. And at this point, I have a, just a personal question for you. Uh, what gives you the most happiness and fulfillment in your life at this point? Well, my children, for one, uh, being able to, to, to be there for them when they need me. Uh, also, the look on an expression on somebody's face when they've been fighting life for weeks, months, or years, and then to see the change when you fill them with the, the tools they need to inspire them to do better. And just looking one-on-one sessions or even group sessions, 
just seeing the face like that. Wow, I didn't know that. Some of the simples that I didn't know that. Oh, I'm ready now. I got the tools, and that that excites me right there. That's what I love the most. Seeing that light up, that light bulb light up in the head. No. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your story. And uh, it's quite quite a story, and you you overcame a lot, and you just shown people that you know you can turn anything around. You really can. Yes, you can. So I just, uh -huh. so I just have one last question before we finish. What is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? The best advice for living an incredible life? See, most of our, our problems come from things that go against our happiness. Right? So you can live a happier life if you learn to accept the things you cannot change, change the things you can change, and be a be a support of somebody else. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Well. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. Yes.